have something really important to say. Today's episode is not for children, and it's also not recommended for anyone who may be sensitive to content about drugs, sex, and violent acts, including kidnapping and rape. Exactly. And very few people wake up saying, I want to be a porn star. And Danielle Williams McCord can attest to that. As a former adult entertainer, Danielle strayed from her childhood dreams of becoming an attorney. How did she get there? Well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me, but we'll try anyway. So put in your earbuds and find a quiet place to sit as Danielle Williams McCord shares the story of how she became an adult video star from start to finish. But that's not it. She also tells the Smoke and Profit podcast the near-death experience that forced her to drop everything for Jesus and the truth about finding a new identity after porn. Here we go. You are listening to the Smoking Profit Podcast with your hosts Dante and Lola, who are here and ready to resource you spiritually, creatively, and socially so that you can live life and live life better. So that you can do life and do life better with inspiration that is actionable, kick back, and listen. Because your life is about to be transformed. Hey, you guys, it's Lola here. You're listening to the Smoke and Profit Podcast. I'm super excited to bring a very special guest on today. I have Danielle Williams McCord. She is an evangelist an author, and also a playwright. She was born in Los Angeles, California, and currently resides in Georgia. She has an amazing story that she's going to share with us. Her story is actually in her book, From Porn to the Pulpit. So without any further delay, hey there. Hello, everyone. My name is Evangelist Danielle Williams-McCord. I am the author of From Porn to the Pulpit and also now Baron. Thank you for having me, Miss Lola. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you for being here. And absolutely, thank you for sharing your story. I know that you are an evangelist. You are a licensed minister. You also have your own organization to help women. And let's go ahead and get into this book, From Porn to the Pulpit. The book talks about drug addiction, your life and adult entertainment from strip clubs and that type of stuff to pornography. Tell me a little bit about your story. Absolutely. From porn to the pulpit is very (laughs) self-explanatory. I went from porn to the pulpit, literally. I got involved in stripping at the age of 14 years old, and that led into, you know, prostitution. After dancing and prostituting for a few years, some porn stars came into one of the strip clubs that I worked in. And one of the young ladies told me that I can make even more money if I started doing movies and, you know, not being sober minded or mature enough to know or even deal with the latter consequences from doing videos. I just heard more money and I was 17 years old. So I was like, okay, cool. I know you probably didn't grow up thinking that you wanted to get into adult entertainment, even from the strip club to everything that led you to pornography. I remember reading in your book that you wanted to be a lawyer, right? Correct. I wanted to be a lawyer because that's what my dad wanted me to be. And you're absolutely right. I did not grow up wanting to be in the adult film industry. 
I always tell people there are things that happens in people's lives. And so we're so quick to judge or put our mouths on situations and we have no idea the fire or the storms that that individual had to walk through before they made the decision to do what they did. Before I was a porn star or a stripper, I was a little girl. And I was a little girl who grew up in a very dysfunctional household with a lot of domestic violence between my mother and father. My mother decided to leave my dad, but I stayed with my dad. My father had some issues. He was bipolar and schizophrenic. On top of that, he was an alcoholic. He was a womanizer. So I saw different women come in and out of the home. He was very abusive, saw him beat them and, you know, do things to them in the home. And as a young girl, I thought that this is normal behavior. You know, if daddy was doing it, then this is what it's supposed to be. And so I grew up thinking that a man is supposed to treat a woman like crap, basically, because my father showed me that. And I always tell parents, even me as a parent, I'm very, even though my son is only six months old, I'm very careful with the things that I allow. Yeah, I get it. My father dropped me off at a babysitter's house when I was around eight years old. That was definitely the beginning of my trials, I guess I would say. There was a babysitter that was around. Well, she was obviously an adult, but she had a teenage son. And when I would go to the babysitter's house, if she needed to, you know, run out for a minute or run errands, she would leave her son in charge of the children. And for some reason, out of all of those little girls, I was his pick. And when his mother would leave, he would molest me and threaten me to not say anything. So I didn't, you know, I always say that an abuser's objective is to instill fear so that the victim doesn't say anything. And so that's exactly what happened. I held on to that and I never got any proper, you know, counseling or help for that. Two years later, as I mentioned, my father is schizophrenic and bipolar on top of that. He is an alcoholic. So I ended up getting in trouble at school and my dad decided that he was going to punish me and my father, who I loved and adored. I always say the first man a girl falls in love with is her dad. And that is true because I was a daddy's girl. He was my everything. And so when I got in trouble at school, my dad brought me back home and he beat me with a wooden paddle and a belt buckle. He choked me. He kicked me. He beat me continuously until I passed out twice. He put me in a bathtub and the water burned my welts, cuts, and he tried to drown me in that bathtub when I was 10 years old. I still never got the proper help that I needed, so I continued on. When I was 12 years old, I went back to live with my mother in Los Angeles, and there was a neighbor, a family friend, who lived across the street. Uh, very familiar with him, knew him, had no reason to fear him. He was a familiar face. One day, for whatever reason, I, I can't remember, I think I came home early and was kind of locked out the house or something like that, and he invited me into his home. I went into his house, you know, fearless, unguarded, because again, this was a familiar person. When I went into his home, my neighbor raped me. This man was 40 plus, I was 12 years old. And I did not say anything. I didn't 
tell anybody. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just continued on as I did before, kind of sweeping things under the rug. I was only 12 years old, yet knew how to just sweep things under the rug and keep going. A year later, I found myself pregnant by this 27-year-old pimp. This man was so handsome. I was very mesmerized by him. I thought that he was interested in me. I was 13 and immature, naive, and didn't know anything. And so we started talking. And once he told me what it is that he was into and what he wanted me to do, which was <laughs> work for him, I was like, you're crazy. It's over. I'm done. However, it wasn't that easy for me to be over and done with him because I was 13 years old in the eighth grade and I was pregnant by a 27 year old pimp that I barely knew. And so I found out I was pregnant. I think I was already three months along when I found out that I was pregnant. I did not know what to do. So I kind of, you know, I put it on the back burner. I considered abortion. I considered telling. I considered doing all kinds of things. And then when I couldn't figure it out, I just said, forget it. And I thought that if I didn't think about it, it would go away. You know, that's how naive a 13 year old thinks. If maybe if I don't think about it, it'll disappear, you know, a whole baby. And so I found myself in my second trimester and I felt the baby move. And that is when I decided that I was going to keep the child. I ended up going to the clinic that I found that I was pregnant at and I was gonna start prenatal care. And that day I was gonna tell my mom that I was pregnant. But before I can do that, my water ended up breaking and I went into a premature labor and I gave birth to a one pound, two ounce baby boy who ended up dying in my arms. When my son took his last breath, everything that I tried to suppress at eight years old, the molestation, my father trying to kill me at 10, the neighbor raping me at 12, me being pregnant at 13 by a 27 year old pimp who wanted me to be his prostitute. Everything had surfaced. And the little girl that went into the hospital wasn't the same little girl that came out. I was very angry. I was very rebellious. I just became very cold. I got out of the hospital and five days later, I turned 14 years old. My body wasn't even healed yet from giving birth, but I ran away from home and I ended up staying with a man who happened to be a pimp. It was like, I couldn't get away from him at that time. I mean, I mean, everybody I met was a pimp or a stripper after that, after the baby dad situation, it was just like, I could not get away from, you know, those kind of people. And so I ended up running away and I was staying with a pimp. He wasn't my pimp, but he was a pimp and a drug dealer. And he was very abusive towards me. And one of his customers was a stripper. And so she used to see me all beat up and stuff and saw how he treated me and things like that. And so she told me one day, she pulled me to the side and she said, you know, you don't have to take this from him. You know what I mean? You can make your own money and get your own wow. place and do your own thing. And I'm like, where am I going to go? What money? You know, I'm 14 years old. Where, what am I going to do? And she said, you acting grown. Might as well basically put your big girl panties on and go out here and this money so you don't have to deal with this. And so in her mind, she was helping me. In her mind, she was helping a girl get out of an abusive situation, but obviously <laughs> it wasn't really helping me. It was destroying me. And so at 14 years old, I went to the strip club with this young lady and I started dancing and she was right. I made my own money. I made my own money. I could do my own thing. However, after dancing for so long, I realized that I was just 14 years old and these are real grown people. You know, these are grown, grown people. 
although most people would consider me fast because I had a child at 13 and, you know, I had already walked through some storms of my own. I was not prepared for the lifestyle of (laughs) what the strip club brought to me at 14 years old. These people were grown, grown, doing grown, grown things that I was not ready (laughs) for. And so after a couple of months of dancing, I decided that, you know what, this is not what I want to do. This is not where I want to be. I end up leaving him and leaving that situation. And I moved to Compton with my grandparents. Now, as destructive as my childhood was, and as unsaved and wild as my mother and father were, my grandparents were always my safe haven. They're from the South and they are strict Baptist believers. <laughs> if you come to their house, they don't care what you're involved in, what you believe, you go in the church, you know? And as long as I was in their home, I felt like I was in church every day. I mean, every single day, child, I couldn't even breathe. It was just Jesus, 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 Jesus all day long. Yes. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so figured, because I'm going to be at church church 24-7, I might as well find some things that I enjoy doing since I'm going to be here all the days of my life. And at that time, I used to love to sing. And so I joined the youth choir. And while I was really enjoying myself and going to rehearsals and, you know, ready to perform on Sundays, really, really, really found my my peace within the church. And I was singing for the Lord <laughs> and I was doing good. I was back home with my grandparents. I was out of the strip club. I was, you know, back in school. I had even got me a summer job. I was really trying to do the right right thing. And then now I'm in this choir, you know, my grandparents are proud to see me up there because I just completely did a 360. You know, I turned around my life compared to where I was when I first got with them. And so I was doing pretty good. And I joined the choir. I was singing for the Lord. I was doing good. I was, you know, being a normal kid again. And while I was singing for Jesus, my choir member introduced me to prostitution. I was 15, she was 18, and she introduced me to prostitution. She showed me how to do it. She taught me the game. Not only did she introduce me to prostitution, she also introduced me to drugs. I became addicted to coke and ecstasy at 15 years old. And so from 15, 16, 17 years old, I started backstripping. I was prostituting. I was doing drugs and I was selling drugs. At 17, going into 18, I was in the strip club and these porn stars came into the club. One of the girls told me that basically, if you think you're making money now, you haven't seen anything yet. And she told me she made this amount of money in a month from doing movies. And I said, okay, well, you know, that sounds good. <laughs> Where do I sign up at? And took a card. And after so long, I ended up going to a porn set and meeting an agent and seeing how things are done. And next thing I know, I was doing movies. I was 18 years old. I was still technically a senior in high school. And I was doing films on top of dancing, on top of escorting. One thing she said was correct. I did make more money. However, I became so miserable. I became suicidal. I became depressed. I indulged in alcohol and drugs even more to the point that I was doing drugs so much that I started having seizures, flatline twice, because I did anything that I could to numb the pain. Stripping is not an easy thing to do. 
is not a good thing to do. Prostitution is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing or a good thing to do. However, when I went into the porn industry, that was a different kind of beast. I was not prepared. I don't know what I expected when I decided to do movies, but that wasn't it, <laughs> you know? So what kind of brought you there? The, the money, just the desire for more money? And did you need more money at that point or were you living okay? I've never met a person in the industry or in corporate America or a celebrity that said that they made enough money and didn't take an opportunity to make more. <laughs> so I was making money, but when she told me how much could be made from doing movies, at that time I wasn't more money. You know, money, drug, and alcohol is what fueled my lifestyle. And so, like I said, even in corporate America, if somebody presents a promotion to someone and says, hey, you can get, I want to promote you and you'll make $50,000 more a year. And so that was where I was at. I was making money as a dancer and as an escort, but I made even more money once I incorporated the porn industry. And that was legal money. You know what I mean? Those were checks being written and you filed taxes off that. Like it was a whole different situation. That was like the perfect analogy. You're absolutely right. In any profession that you're in, in any career that you're in, any means that you're making money, you're always looking to make more. So yeah. So I did that for a little while and I traveled the world. I had access to celebrities. We were at celebrity parties and events, football players, rappers, actors became my clients. I mean, I was just living like a rock star. However, I was more depressed than I've ever been in my life. I was more suicidal than I've ever been in my life. I always reference that time in my life. I reference it back to the scripture that says, what profit is it to a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And that's exactly what was happening to me. Wow. So even when you were in the middle of this, God was still speaking to you. Well, you know what? I was a hypocristian. <laughs> I was very much a hypocristian. I went to church still. I never left church, even though I was a dancer, even though I was prostituting, even though I was doing porn and drugs and everything else you can think of. I never left church. That was my peaceful place. People thought I was crazy. The church people looked at me crazy. The porn stars looked at me crazy. They thought I was out of my mind that I can do all of this and then be like, girl, you're hurry up because I got to go to church in the morning. And they were like, what? You know, <laughs> everybody was like, you going where? I'm like, after doing, you know, 10 lines of cocaine and, you know, selling drugs and doing all this stuff. I'm like, I got to go to church. And they're looking at me like, you got to be kidding me, you know, but I never... I never let go of the hand of God, even though I lived a double life, even though my lifestyle was contrary to his word and will for my life. I never, ever left the presence of God. I had got all these religious tattoos, all these crosses on me because in my mind, that was God protecting me. And that scripture was Mark eight thirty six, And it's basically for what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? And that's what was happening in my life. I was gaining the world as far as materialistic things. I had money. I was able to drive every car that I've ever wanted to drive. I was able to live in places that were absolutely immaculate. I was able to, you know, if I wanted to go pick up and go to Vegas for a weekend or go to Miami or go overseas, I had the money to do it. I had it going on for an 18-year-old girl. However, 
I was dying on the inside because I felt so degraded. I felt so disgusting. I needed drugs and alcohol just to get me through what was going on. And so I did that. I was 19 years old and this is where the exit from the industry came in at. I got a chance to travel the world. Guys would, you know, pay me and fly me out to come be with them for the weekend or whatever. So it was a normal thing for me to go out and do that. So when I got a call from a man in New York, it wasn't, you know, a red flag or anything like that. I knew what I was going out there to do. And so long story short, I left LA and I went to New York and this man was nothing compared to what he told me he was over the phone. He had nothing compared to what he said. Everything was off. But I still was trying to wing it. I still was like, okay, whatever, I'm here. And he did wine and dine me for the first three days. We end up going out and he became upset with me when he saw me talking to another guy, which was crazy to me. I mean, you just booked a whole prostitute. You know, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, that's what I thought to myself. I'm like, what do you do? What do you thought I was a school teacher? <clears throat> you know, he thought I was school teacher, a nurse or something. I'm a whole prostitute you know so he saw me talking to another guy and he became very irate with me and he snatched me out the club and this man kept telling me that he was going to kill me that I was not gonna leave here and although I had been in the streets for quite some time so I've had some scary run-ins before but nothing like this this was like a scene out of a horror movie I knew that I was going to die. Like there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I knew this man was going to kill me. He was going to have his way with me. And then when he got tired of me and wanted to move on to the next, I knew he was like going to chop me up and put me in the backyard or something like that. He was very weird. And I believe that this was not the first time he's ever done this. I think that he was waiting for the perfect time because the setup of the basement looks like this is what he does. Looks like a dungeon punishment chamber or something like that. It was absolutely crazy. And so at 19 years old, I had accepted death. My family didn't know where I was. My friends didn't know where I was. All they knew is I went to New York to go do my thing. And I was going to Atlanta. Next, I was going to make some rounds. It was like New York, Atlanta, Miami, and then I'll be back home. No one knew where I was at in New York. They didn't know the situation. And so I just was like, I'm never going to see my family again. This is it. This is over. And I had just accepted death. He would leave me in that basement for hours at a time, hours, hours, hours. And I would just cry and cry and cry and cry and sleep and cry and sleep and cry and sleep. One particular day while I was crying and I was laid up in a fetal position, something in me said pray. And I started praying and I said, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. And I know I've said this to you so many times, but if you get me out of this, I'll change my life for you. Just don't let me die. Don't let me go out like this. I'm done. I promise you I'm done. And I just prayed until I couldn't pray anymore. A few days later, his friend ended up coming to that basement looking for him and ended up hearing me and let me out of the basement. And, you know, I still had my run-ins with New York until I figured out what I was going to do. But long story short, I ended up getting out of New York and I made my way back to Los Angeles and I never looked back again. Can I ask you a question? Yes. How long do you think you were in that basement? I had to be there for at least 20 days. Wow. I was only supposed to be in New York for four days mm -hmm. and it turned out to be three weeks. Wow. And you prayed and God responded and sent the man's friend and he helped you get out. That's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. So you left and you did not look back.
When I got to LA, like I completely walked away with the clothes on my back. Literally, I was done. I made a vow to God in that basement. I said, if you save my life, I'll change it for you. I'll live for you. I'm done. And I meant that. Did I have some challenges on the way? Absolutely. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. You know, I dibbled and dabbled in lesbianism. I, you know, I still didn't know how to pick a man because of the men that I was used to. So I had some issues coming out, but I knew that the porn industry and the strip club would never see me again. And that was my biggest stronghold. And once I really got planted in a church and it happened to be a healing and deliverance church. I went through my deliverance and it was very painful. It was like God was ripping the layers off of me. Everybody that I thought was in my corner left me. I mean, it was like a really deserted place. However, I needed that. I needed God to strip me. And that's exactly what he did. He stripped me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He stripped me. Oh my God. But he healed me and he delivered me. I never went to AA. I never went to a drug meetings. He took the taste out of my mouth for for alcohol. He took the taste out of my mouth for drugs. I became celibate. I was just involved in him. I needed to heal from so much trauma that I thought drugs and alcohol would have healed me from. And that I was suppressing a lot of things through drugs and alcohol, but I needed God to heal me. I needed him to fill the void and not replace it with anything else. And that that's exactly what he did. That's amazing. Now, I remember reading in your book, which your book was really good. I started reading it, I think, like after it was so late one night. It was like after midnight. I started reading it and I did not want to stop reading it. You know, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to go to sleep because I got to get up in the morning. So I was like, I got to stop the book, but then I'm going to go back and read it. But you guys need to purchase from porn to the pulpit. I got mine from Amazon. I got it on Kindle, but the book takes like less than three hours to read. And it's like an amazing story the way you laid it out. But in your book, you talk about how like you actually had seizures really bad from like the drug use. Like, so when, when the drugs, when you stopped that, when God took that away from you, like what happened with your health? The seizures did not stop for a while, which was so confusing to me because once I got sober, I was like, why am I still having these? (laughs) And I guess it was like, I had done so much. And when I was going through my detoxing period, it was, you ever see movies where people are detoxing from like heroin and all of that different stuff. And it just looks horrible. I mean, that's a really, that's a real place. And so when I stopped cold turkey, I just stopped cold turkey. Like I didn't get any medicine. I didn't go any, I just stopped using after years. And so the seizures continued. They just wasn't as frequent. And one time I asked God, I said, I'm no longer doing drugs. I need you to heal me. I need you to clean out my system completely of any residue that may be triggering these seizures. And he did. My last seizure, I think, was in 2011. And mind you, I stopped using in like 09. So the last seizure was in 2011 and they never came back again. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. That's amazing. Yeah. So I know that when you... You left the lifestyle of adult entertainment when you left behind stripping, escorting, pornography, and you found a church. You weren't readily welcomed by everyone. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I was not welcome. It was not come as you are for me, honey. It was, oh my goodness. So... 
when I got out the industry, obviously, I still looked like a dancer. I had these long blonde hair, <laughs> these green contacts, these long fingernails, these short dresses, these high heels. However, that's all I know. I, that's all I had. You know what I mean? That's the lifestyle that I had lived. I didn't have any church stuff. You know, I, I went to church after I would leave the club. So that's the type of stuff that I had. And I was no longer making the money that I was making. So I couldn't like go on a shopping spree or I wasn't even thinking about going on a shopping spree to get new clothes. I just wanted God. I didn't try to figure out a dress code and all of that. I wanted God. I came into the church and a lot of the women in the church were not friendly. A lot of the men in the church were not looking at me as a brother. (laughs) They were looking at me as a piece of meat. So it wasn't a very good experience for me because I wasn't welcomed by everybody. There were maybe one or two, three people at the max that really took me in and understood my story and understood where I came from and wanted to help me. But that was about it. I was just this Jezebel. (laughs) I was just this Jezebel that came into the church, you know, that was on an assignment to try to cause some type of division when all I wanted was God. I wasn't even thinking about those people. I just wanted Jesus. Yeah. Even with the stares, even with the unfriendliness, even with the way I was treated by the people in the church, I was so hungry for the Holy Ghost. And it had to be like this because I would have probably fought them in the church because that's what I came from. You know, I was a fighter. I was from the hood and I would have probably told the church up. So it was like, (laughs) it was like, it was like God put these blinders on my eyes to where I can just focus on the word that was going forth. And every time that there was an altar call and deliverance was going, I was there. I didn't care if they was looking at me like she's here every Sunday. Oh my God, she's at the altar every Sunday. Yes, I'm at the altar every Sunday because I got to get everything that God has for me. I just wanted my deliverance and I got it. And it was a very painful place. But once it was done, I ended up getting baptized again. I never, ever, ever ever expected <laughs> ministry. How this started, I just was telling my story to different people about where I came from. I'm like, y'all, and I was telling it in a defensive way. I'm like, y'all looking at me crazy. And you don't know where I came from. And that's how I was started. <laughs> I was telling it as a, you know, defense mechanism. And a pastor by the name of Justin Cox ended up hearing my story. And he asked me, would I mind telling it to the church? Now, mind you, well, he's no longer pastoring, but when he was, he had a very big movement. It was P4CM, Passion for Christ movement, and it was really growing. I didn't know that at the time. I just met him one day and we were talking because somebody invited me to church. And he said, do you mind telling your testimony at the church? And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Not knowing that it was going to be like 500 people there. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like 500 people at his church. And that was the first time I ever told my testimony. And I was absolutely terrified. I'm like, you didn't tell me. Nobody was at the church when we came. We were coming to drop something off. So it was empty. I looked at the pastor like, I know you lying. I know you're not about to put me up here for all these people. (laughs) But I did. I went up there and I told my testimony and they recorded it. And that ended up going viral. 
And when that went viral, I started getting all of these calls from different universities, different schools, different churches, radio, television awesome. um, to come on and tell my testimony. And so that's where the ministry began. I still didn't call it a ministry at that time. I was just telling my testimony. And then I went to start a mentor, like this big sister program where other young girls who were involved in the same thing, they would have somebody to talk to and somebody to be there for them. And so that was doing good as well. But they say, I know one day I was telling my testimony and then I started preaching and I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> so that is how the ministry began. And so not only did the ministry begin, I wrote a book entitled From Porn to the Pulpit. Last year, that book turned into a stage play and we debuted it in Atlanta, Georgia for the first. Congratulations. Thank you. For the first two shows were in Atlanta, Georgia. Then we went to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We were on our way to another city. And then I found out I was pregnant with my miracle baby. So everything got put on hold, but now he is six months old. And we will be resuming again with the From Porn to the Pulpit stage play. So that's my story. <laughs> wow. Your story is just an amazing testament that you don't have to let your past define you because you don't let your past define you. You know, from everything that you experienced, you overcame, of course, with God, but you didn't let it define you. Something that I thought was super interesting when reading your story was just the lack of positive influences that you had in your life. You had your grandparents who loved you just super unconditionally, but a lot of the people around you, like you said, you kept meeting people that were strippers, men that were pimps, like a lot of guys you came across were telling you to get into prostitution. There was even a woman at one point that told you you should never be broke because of what you have between your legs. And it's like mm -hmm. you fought that for so long, but eventually it just caught up to you. So shout out to you for having like a mentoring program, a ministry to really, really help people that are involved in like drug abuse, human trafficking, but also to help young girls so that they have someone positive there to help keep them from going down that path, that death spiral that you really, really went through, you know, because a lot of yeah. people don't make it out. I knew someone personally that got involved in human trafficking and they died. You know, one of the people that hired them through back pages of all places, mm -hmm. shout out mm -hmm. for back pages being shut down. Um, but they went to someone's house for a massage, quote unquote, and the person shot them, you know, mm -hmm. and killed them and mm -hmm. they died, mm -hmm. you know, away from home, away from their family, away from their mom. So just thank you for being vocal about thank it. You. And I'm so, so grateful that like you were just able to overcome everything and you're still overcoming as you talk about it and as you live through it. How did you gain a healthy perspective on your relationships with men because you said even after you came out of the adult entertainment industry you really didn't know how to pick guys so now you're married you have a family so like how did all of that change your perspective on men and everything as far as my perspective towards men it wasn't easy because i was a man hater and the reason why i was a man hater is because every time i was hurt it came from a man every time i was violated it came from a man and so i didn't like guys <laughs> at all like I did like guys to the point that I became a fake lesbian you know <laughs> and so I had issues because even it goes all the way back to my father 
you know, he was a man that I loved and he was the first one to hurt me. And it just became a cycle. God had to show me that I had to go through my own mental healing. And when I met my husband, I had been celibate for quite some time. And when he wanted to date me, I gave him hell, (laughs) you know, because I did not trust guys. I looked at everybody. He was totally opposite. We are like oil and water. Mm -hmm. We are so opposite from each other. Like he's so square and I'm so hood Mm -hmm. and he's so like never been through anything. And I've been through everything. We just come from different worlds. And he basically, basically told me one day when we were dating because I tried to push him away as much as I could I just wanted him to leave me alone it seemed like it was too good to be true and I wanted him to leave me alone but he would not leave me alone child so um (laughs) one day we were we were we were talking and he said don't make me pay for the mistakes of other men and when he said that I was just like you know what you're right he said I wasn't there I didn't do those things to you I would never do those things to you. I said, okay. Wow. Now we married with a baby. <laughs> seven, almost seven years later. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. See, me and him, we didn't meet on no, hey, baby, how you doing? We were friends. And then, so he knew everything about me. I didn't have to. And dating for me after I got out of the industry was very hard because I didn't know how to tell guys that I was in the porn industry. And I had to tell them because I knew that one day they would probably see it or if they brought me around their friends or family, somebody would recognize me because I had that happen so many times. So I was like, at some point, I'm going to have to tell these guys. And every time I got ready to tell them, it would always fall apart because either A, once they knew that I had did porn, they would instantly want to sleep with me or they would run because it's like, now I don't know how to deal with you. So it was very hard in the dating world for me. So when I met, my husband, we were friends. So he knew everything about me. He had read my book, saw interviews that I did. We talked regularly. You were saying that your husband had read your book. Let me ask you a question. Like, when is the last time someone tried to degrade you for your past or call you out? Every day. Really? Every day. No. Even now. Even now, I I can raise the dead and open up blind eyes and deaf ears and people will still reference me to a stripper or a porn star. Yeah. People don't ever let you live down your past. But see, I'm cut from a different cloth. That don't bother me no more. It used to. I'm going on 10 years of ministry now. So it used to cut me deep when people would say, you know, certain things that were degrading or hurtful it would break me it would really hurt me and I'm like god why can't they see that I'm changed now I'm like whatever you know um get over it right (laughs) you know what I mean if I had not done those things I would not be the woman I am today and I'm not missing no meals I still got a man I got a baby god is using me my lights are cut on I got food in my refrigerator so I'm not (laughs) you guys are upset I'm not you know what I mean I'm, I'm living a very blessed and happy life but to this day there will be people even you know when people get upset or even how I preach sometimes you know if conviction goes or you know, um, if I step on someone's toes, the first thing they reference is, well, you were a stripper, you were a porn star, you were a this, you were a that. And I'm like, okay, and, and what else? You know, so at this point, it, I'm unbothered. That's amazing. Your 
complete unbothered response to that. How does your family respond to the book? So nobody really knew what I was doing until the book came out because I wasn't in nobody's face with my stuff. I was ashamed to bring around my family. So all they thought that I was doing was messing with like ballers and guys with money. A lot of football players and basketball players were my clients. So I would just tell them, you know, I'm dating this football player and that's why I have a new truck. And that's why, you know, I live over here and that's why, you know, I'm traveling. So no one knew that what I was doing until the book came out. I didn't disrespect my my mother or my grandparents with that. And no, I'm not in direct contact with my father. My dad has some, you know, he still has some issues. We spoke, obviously he knows he has a grandchild, Mm -hmm. but outside of that, he's still very sickly mentally, you know, so we don't speak. So let me ask you this. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share? Also, do you have any words that you want to speak to people considering going into adult entertainment And also any words of encouragement for anyone that's wanting to come out and they're dealing with the shame? Yeah, as far as wanting to get involved in that industry, don't because it's not what you think it is. See, the enemy always paints things like they're just pretty pink roses, but everything that glitters is not gold. I did not expect things that happened to happen to me once I got in the industry. See, the love of money is the root of all evil. And when you start to do things to degrade yourself and degrade your spirit, man, degrade your flesh, degrade your mind, it's not worth it. And when you get involved in the sex industry in any means, that is going into the enemy's playground and you have no idea what you'll come out with. There are so many young ladies and men who are HIV positive, who have herpes, who have had mental breakdowns as a result of being in the industry. And I thank God that he covered me even in my sin because I walked away disease free. But that's not a game that you want to play because you'll be playing a game with your life. And so I encourage you to try to find another way. And to those of you who are already involved, but want to come out, I want to encourage you and let you know that it is possible. Have no shame, have no embarrassment. Don't feel no kind of way because I am the one who walked through hell and yet God still chose me. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter how nasty or filthy or dirty your past may be. If God calls you, that is it. He can use anybody. He's no respecter of person. He took a girl from Compton, California, who was a porn star, who was a stripper, who was involved and he did it for me. He's able to do it for you. And so I encourage you what they say about you, they did it too. The only difference is they know your business and you don't know theirs. You have no reason to be ashamed. Wow. That part where you said the difference is, is they know your business and you don't know theirs. Wow. That part. Because <laughs> a lot of people that are judgy, judgy, they're judgy, judgy, and they have their own secrets that they'll never air out. Wow. That part right there just messed me up. If someone wants to contact you, have you speak, if someone wants to purchase your book, get connected with your organization, maybe donate to your cause, how can they do that? So my website is www.dwmdaniellewilliamsmccordministries.com. I'm also on Facebook at Danielle Williams McCord. 
I'm on Instagram as Minister Danny, and that's D-A-N-N-Y. And that's where you guys can find me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If anyone wants to donate to your ministry, I presume they can go to your website and donate there. Absolutely, absolutely. If you want to sow any kind of seeds, you definitely can go through the website or you can contact me through any of those social media platforms as well. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for giving your time and speaking with us today. This has been so amazing. I want to hear you speak another time. First, let me say thank you to everyone for listening to today's message. I know the content is heavy and I'm glad you stuck around. When I got the opportunity to interview Evangelist Danielle, I jumped on it because topics like this are very near to my heart. There was so much more I wanted to ask her and I wanted to say, but behind the scenes, you guys, We had some major technical issues, so I didn't get to. However, if you have questions that you want to ask her, if you want to connect, or if you want to donate to Danielle's nonprofit or purchase any of her books, including the one that I could not stop reading, From Porn to the Pulpit, be sure to check out today's episode description because the information will be there for you. Thanks again, and until next time, have an amazing life.